Welcome to this week's edition of Everything Fast Pitch by Fast Pitch Prep. Coach Don and I are here in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio getting ready to record episode number 264. Have a really fun show lined up for you this week. In our warm-up segment, we're going to talk about our City of the Week, Player of the Week, Equipment Tip of the Week, have an interesting Did You Know, a fun listener question, Paige's Power Play, and of course our DR3 Fast Pitch Pitching Corner question. In our lead-off segment, we're going to talk about kind of following up on a couple of things we've talked about in the last couple of weeks that have gotten a lot of responses. So we're going to talk about uh, wasting time at uh, tournaments and in games. Oh, boy. Um, I had uh, several people that wanted to raise a question or two about that. In our cleanup topic, we're going to talk about another thing that we've talked about a little bit, and we had a uh, very, very passionate response from the parent of a pitcher talking about why strikeouts are so important. And then we're going to okay. finish up with our action coach coaching tip of the week about coaches making sure that they don't put their players' attitude or a mental state at risk by doing foolish things at practice. So before we get into any of those fun things, let's talk about our sponsors. First, the Anderson Bat Company. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to have Anderson Bat Company as our presenting sponsor. Anderson Bat Company is using the latest and greatest bat technology to corner the market in the fast pitch world. They have the minus nine rocket tech the minus 10 carbon, and the minus 11 carbon light. Anderson Bat Company is using this technology to put a high-performing bat in the hands of hitters that really know the difference between a good bat and a great bat. We're also working with Anderson to provide a discount for all of our listeners. Go to the Anderson Bat Company website and order your bats. Use the EFP20 discount, which is for everything fast pitch, and you'll get a 20% discount. It's a great way for you to save a little bit of money on a great bat, and also help support Everything Fast Pitch at the same time. Also, let's talk about patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch. We want to say thank you very much. We have a new patron this week. Foxfire72 is our newest patron. Cool. Um, we're certainly encouraging anybody who sees value in what we're doing. If you want us to be able to continue to do the podcast moving forward, we need more people to come on board and become patrons. Um, as we've talked about uh, pretty much nonstop now for the last year, we keep making progress. We're getting closer and closer. We're still about 15 patrons away from being in a making money, breaking even. So it's um, fun, in, but it costs us in, money. Right, in, yep. in the black situation. You know, we love doing it. It's a lot of fun to do it. We love sharing what, uh, what we get to share with all of you. But if you see value in it and you want us to be able to continue to do it, if you can come on board and become a patron, you go to patreon.com slash everything fast pitch. We're talking about $5, 10 or $20 a month. Don, our warm-up segment is sponsored by Bidinger and Styles DDS. They're located in Webster, Mass. If you're in the Webster, Mass area and you have any dental needs at all, check out the folks at Bidinger and Styles. They are longtime supporters of this podcast. They're fast pitch people. They would take really good care of you, and we would love for you to check them out if you have any needs and you're in the area. So, Don, our city of the week is putting some pressure on you. Uh-oh, what do we got? Calgary, Alberta, <clears throat> Canada. Calgary, fantastic. So, uh, about a month or so ago, we laid down the uh, challenge that if our Canadian uh, listenership rose high enough level that we were going to make Coach Don sing Oh Canada as his <laughs> thank you to the folks from Canada, Calgary made a big push. They got us close. We need one more bump. We, we, we need, need one more jump. We need a big Canadian share. We you got to share us. All of those of you in, in Calgary that uh, pushed us to the point where you are the city of the week to get one more person to listen. Um, one of the things we ask you to do every week, find somebody that's a fast pitch person, somebody that's a friend, teammate, coach that you know that's not listening to the podcast yet and get them hooked up. I'm confident that once they listen, they'll keep coming back. Um, our numbers continue to grow. 
but it's always exciting for us to see the numbers jump up in one in one particular place. So Calgary, thank you very much. Let's keep the pressure on Canada. I'm, Don's dying to sing Oh Canada. I'm feeling like I got to tune up the vocal cords, Tori. Well, it doesn't have to be uh, good. It just has to be funny. Oh, come on. It'll be great. Uh, like I said, it has you to got, be fun. They, they got to share it. Calgary, congratulations for City of the Week. Our Player of the Week this week, Don, is Alexis Pierce. Alexis plays in the Navarre Youth Sports Association in Navarre, Florida, where they have the tagline, it's greater to be a Raiders. Alexis was nominated by her coach. She had an amazing season uh, in the classroom, on the field, uh, has done a lot of really good things with her team and and to uh, lead her team to a lot of success on the field. Obviously, like many of the players that get nominated, Coach Lale wanted to make sure that we knew about Alexis's success in the classroom. Uh, her leadership, the fact that she's just in love with the game of fast pitch softball, works really hard at it, and is the kind of kid that comes to every single practice, never has a reason to to miss, leads while she's there, sets that really good example for all of her teammates, and obviously is having a ton of success on the field at the same time. She's very worthy of it with all those things, Tori. Right, and one of the things that uh, you know, every week we ask for nominations, and, and we always have this uh, push and pull going on where some weeks we get a lot of people nominated, and other weeks we don't get very many or any at all. And one of the things that is the most important to us and one of the things that we've enjoyed the most is sending out those Player of the Week t-shirts and seeing the look on players' faces when they know they're being recognized. And a lot of times, there's just no easy way to say this. Some of the players that get recognized are not the prototypical picture-in-the-newspaper kinds of kids. Just the home run kid. Right. You know, they're the the behind-the-scenes, the tough-as-nails, the working hard, the committed-to-their-team, passionate-about-the-game kinds of kids that don't necessarily always get to be on ESPN because they robbed a home run or they hit a big home run. Now, in uh, Alexis's case, she's obviously having tremendous success on the field as well. But we want all of you to think about somebody that you know that plays this game that's really passionate about it, that, that needs to be recognized, that we should be recognizing, and send their nomination in. It's very, very easy to do. Go to everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. Either one of those email addresses. A couple of sentences is all it takes. Just we a little enjoy bit getting of the message. Yeah. yeah, a little bit of information. One of the things that people have said in the past is that well, they don't know for sure if what their player has done is worthy. All I'll tell you is, don't you worry about it. You send us the player's information and let Coach Don and I figure it out. And we're we're more than happy to bear the burden of having to decide. But we want to recognize as many players as we can. You know, having those uh, Player of the Week T-shirts out there floating around in the world and having kids proudly wearing them is something that we're really really excited about and we want to keep doing it. And Tori, sometimes it's just uh, fun and exciting for a little extra encouragement to keep them working hard because that's uh, all a new thing for a lot of the young ones, especially, and getting a nomination or getting a, an award like that might might keep them working hard. Right. Well, I think it's great that they know too that somebody like their coaches Notices. are noticing. And yep. so just the fact that they're being nominated by somebody that they respect and, and have a relationship with, I think is very important. So send those nominations in. And congratulations, Alexis Pierce. You're the Fast Pitch Prep Player of the Week. So equipment tip of the week, Don, Square Cuts Training Disc. The discs are great, Tori. Again, I, if you don't have them, you need them because they're just a, a neat new tool that you can use, something different and exciting for uh, a practice setting or for something safe and easy to use at home. And, um, you know, again, we talk about them each week, and I don't feel bad about uh, telling everybody they need a set because I think there's something that everyone can use and, and benefit from. Right. Well, we were uh, very proud of the square cuts training discs and it's something that, uh, you know, we wanted to create a tool that hitters could use that was going to make a difference for them. And I'm very confident that it does that. If you go to the fastpitchprep.com website, they're forty nine ninety five a dozen. So they're uh, very, very affordable. 
They hold up really well. Um, they don't make as much noise as hitting a softball. So for all those kids that are training in the basement and in the garage and making the neighbors mad all week long because they're out there banging away on softballs, um, it's a great tool because it gives that hitter instant feedback. They know for sure if they're doing something well or if something needs to be improved. And like I said before, if you go go to the fastpitchprep.com website, order them up, we'll get them sent out to you right away. And the pile's getting a little bit whittled down. So if you need them, make sure you go ahead and get them ordered up because we don't know, know how long it'll don't take. Know how long it's going to take to get them back overseas and, and back over here. So the Square Cuts training discs, make sure you get them ordered up today. So Don, did you know the WPF, the Women's Professional Fast Pitch League, just had their draft. It's the first draft for the new league. We've talked about this league quite a bit. And one of the things that they're doing that we've been really strong proponents of is um, as they're selecting players, it, it appears that they clearly understand the importance of putting players in places where they're already known, already idolized, already have a fan base. And the draft was another perfect example of that connection. Now, a lot of great players were drafted. They did a live stream of it. It was a really first-class event. Everything about it was really nice and well done, very professional. So the number one draft pick was Alex Taraco, who's now a member of the Oklahoma Sooners uh, softball program, was selected number one by the Oklahoma City team. And Oklahoma City is strongly represented now in this draft by players with Oklahoma and Oklahoma State ties. And so to me, that's just such a connectable thing for players that already have a fan base, that already have people that are used to coming out to watching them play, being centrally located and, and organized into teams where they are going to be seen by those same fans. And we know that Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, you know, the city of Oklahoma City, um, obviously have you know, such a strong connection to the fast pitch community um, that it's a really exciting thing to see. To me, this is the secret to making one of the pro leagues work that's never been tapped into before. And now some of the other players that are drafted are you know, big name players that we all recognize for just being great players that are not necessarily directly associated with that location. But I think if we want to get these leagues to really flourish, uh, we need to continue this trend of putting players on teams where they're already being cheered for and people already know who they are. You know, I'm hoping that someday soon we'll hear about an Atlanta team that will be made up of a lot of Georgia, Georgia Tech, Kennesaw State, Georgia State players you know, be from, exciting. from yeah. all around this part of the area and, and uh, uh, this part of the country. You know, when you think about a team located in Atlanta drawing SEC level players, you know, you could have a super competitive professional team just with Atlanta area kids that have played in this part of the country that already have a lot of people that would be willing to support them. The challenge has always been getting that casual fan to come out and watch games. Well, honestly, for some of the leagues, getting even rabid fans to come out and watch the games was a problem. Right. But I would go watch a player that I know. I would go watch a player that I already have a relationship with that I've watched on TV playing for you know Georgia or Georgia Tech and a lot of the kids that you already have a, have a relationship with. So the WPF had their first draft, and Alex Straco was the first player selected. Some other names, just so everybody kind of on, on board with the type of players that are going to be in the league. Uh, Bailey Klingler. Washington infielder who's really strong candidate for player of the year, Ashley Rogers from Tennessee, Megan Faramo from UCLA, and a whole lot of other players that are just really well known um, and obviously doing a, an awesome job. I'm hopeful and optimistic for the WPF. I think that it's going to be something that's got a chance to really get some legs, and hopefully it can be something that becomes a legitimate opportunity for players that 
want to have a professional career. Because the one missing ingredient for us for softball is still a, a true professional league where players can continue to, you know, to keep playing this game at a really high level. You know, the only option they have right now that has any kind of real lasting uh, staying power is Team USA. But the Olympics is only every four years, and obviously the Olympics are not even in the Olympics every time, or softball's not even in the Olympics every right. time. So, so we need the pro leagues to take off. So did you know the WPF just had their first draft, and Alex Garaco was the number one player selected? So our listener question this week, Don, comes to us from Chris. Chris's challenge is a simple one, but it's a, probably a complicated answer. His daughter is a pitcher and a catcher and is working okay. really hard to be really good at both. But she's starting to get some pressure and some pushback on trying to do both of those really demanding pitching and catching positions at at a higher level and basically being told that she needs to choose one or the other. Kind of looking for our thoughts and suggestions about making a 13-year-old player give up one position that she really loves for another position that she really loves. Corey, wow, that's very unique, actually, to be that good at both, where either could be your end-game passion and me it kind of sounds like that's something that player might have the greatest input in and and figure out but both are taxing on your arm to excel at both continually would be uh, maybe a stretch yeah depending on on what our aspirations were if we're if we're shooting for you know high level college stuff or if we're more in that mode where we're going to enjoy softball for a long time. And that's just kind of a a fun thing for me. Yeah. Well, one of the things in in this situation, because of her age, I think telling her to choose one or the other is definitely premature. Now it is very demanding, but if you're the kind of person that's willing to do the work, to be in the kind of shape that you need to be in, to play both of those positions, you know, then, you know, my hat's off to you. You If you're, a pitcher who also plays in the outfield, well, you know, you know, when you're out in the outfield, there might be a whole game that you, you know, really have to run can, hard once or twice. Can just rest your arm right. too. Versus if you're behind the plate, you're working hard every single pitch. If you're on the mound, you're working hard every single pitch. And so obviously the the physical toll of that combination I think could be a little bit daunting for some kids. But in this situation, because of her age and the fact that she's really passionate about both, I think sticking with both is a really good idea. Now at some point in time, if she does, you know, progress in, into the higher levels of collegiate softball or, or a really competitive high school team, or in some cases, even a really competitive travel ball team, the competition might sort out for her what her best position really is or her best opportunity really is. But, you know, for me, the idea of telling a young player that they can't do something just because we're not used Doesn't to seeing it. Right. Yeah, just because yeah. we're, uh, just because it's unusual. Unique. To me, that's a really bad precedent to send. I love any player that wants to work really hard. So if she's willing to work really hard to be good at those two positions, you know, to me, I think we have to adjust the way we're seeing it. Now, if she's getting a lot of pressure from her coaches to to, specialize, specialize, that might be a I'm on the wrong team problem, not I'm trying to do the wrong thing problem. Yeah, I think that's a really neat educational opportunity for her to be behind the plate, too, as a pitcher to gain insight as to hitters habits and, and tendencies might be really neat for right. her to, to see it firsthand when she's not pitching Yeah, because when you're pitching, you're not really necessarily watching all the first movements of batters and stuff like that. So, right. Well, one of the things neat. we used to do uh, at the college level is what we called catcher appreciation days. Ugh. So we would put our other players in positions where they had to 
do some experience what the or, what the catcher was going through. Yeah, throw, not always uh, easy to do. Right, the throw that's ten feet up the line and has you basically on a head-on collision course with the base runner coming down the line, and you know that short hop throw that you've got to try to figure out how to handle <laughs> the short hop and you know, stay around home plate thank, and make a tag. Thank you to the outfield. Right. Yeah. So for for uh, this player, she's obviously got a lot of catcher appreciation already in her training. So so I think it's a really good combination, but. But I, I honestly would say stick with both. You have to fight for it, then fight for it. If if it gets to be a, a situation where you have a coach at this age, at this level, saying you have to choose one or the other, I'd have a heart-to-heart talk with that coach. Because to me... That day like, might come, but right. yeah. That, that day probably will come. Yeah, But it's going to come when you're a freshman and co- or being recruited by a college coach, and the college coach says, hey, I love the fact that you're really good at both, but might be when that uh, you know that bridge has to be crossed um, but it surely shouldn't be uh, getting crossed at at this age at this uh, level of development for a player because two years from now if we decide that we don't want to be a catcher because somebody told us not to be and we end up being an average pitcher but we could have been an amazing catcher right well who's lost out on that deal we, we lost a couple of years of work right and or might even have given up on that position altogether if we stop doing something for a couple of years to then all of a sudden, well, okay, now I'm going to go back and pick it up. I think that's a pretty big stretch too. It'll be tough. Good question though. Yeah. So Chris, thank you very much for sending that question in. For all of you, if you have questions that you would like us to answer, topics you want us to discuss, again, same email address as we talk about with the uh, player of the week nominations, everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. Either one of those will get the information to us. You know, Coach Don and I really like the interaction. We want to talk about stuff that you're interested in. And uh, we've got uh, obviously a whole show today based on feedback and responses from listeners. So we want to make sure that we continue to talk about stuff that you're interested in. So make sure you reach out to us. So Don, that's going to take us to this week's edition of Paige's Power Play. Hey, it's Paige here. And I want your daughter to stop thinking things are hard. (laughs) So now that I have studied and really worked on my own mindset, I oftentimes wonder why I ever would think hitting is hard. I mean, I probably had that thought often because that's what the world was saying. Because to be truthful, it is hard. It's one of the hardest things in sports. It's one of the hardest parts of baseball and softball. But it was leading me to believe that it was hard for me when it didn't have to be. It's like I was making it harder than it was, overcomplicating it, overthinking it. Does this all sound familiar? I'm thinking that maybe you're thinking, wow, this is so my daughter. <laughs> I work on getting perspective with the girls that I work with. I work on helping them reframe their thoughts that are just like this. So instead of thinking hitting is hard, let's think, think things like hitting is so easy. I can hit in my sleep. I can hit anything. Hitting comes so naturally to me or insert whatever physical skill for the sport that your, your daughter is playing or competing at. And that can work too. So we believe what we think. So let's learn how to choose thoughts that are actually going to help us play and compete to our, our potential. At one point I asked a girl that I was working with, if she'd ever seen those books titled like blank is for dummies, like typing is for typing for dummies, calculus for dummies, real estate for dummies, whatever it is. And I had her, I'm like, okay, we got to dumb things down, make them simple rather than overcomplicating the heck out of it. So if your daughter could use some of this 
training, some of this mental coaching to help her start thinking like this. I'm here to support her and for you too. Go on my website, send me a message, contact me so that we can set up a call. We can create a plan for your daughter to start working on her mental game. Hey folks, I stump for Paige every week. She does a great job. Her programs are awesome. We need to support them. We need to get signed up for them. Uh, The vast majority of players that I deal with struggle with their confidence. They struggle with their faith in themselves. They have no idea how to manage the pressure that they're under when they're playing games. And all that stuff tells me that uh, Paige's programs are really, really good. You know, she's got a wide variety of things available and all of them have potential to make a big, big difference in your player's mental health, her well-being, how much she enjoys the game, and honestly, how much you know she's going to get out of playing it. So pagetons.com, T-O-N-Z, make sure you support her program. So that's going to take us to this week's uh, edition of our DR3 Fast Pitch Pitching Corner question. Hey everyone, Coach D here with DR3 Fast Pitch, answering one of the pitching questions that was submitted to fastpitchprep at gmail.com. So this question was sent in by a father of a pitcher. He is a very tall dad, and when he sits on the bucket, he feels like the target is a little too high for his daughter. And she's struggling with accuracy a little bit on where to look to find the plate. So a big thing that I work on in in in-person lessons and online lessons is I have my girls do a lot of visualization. So one of the tips that I have, if the catcher keeps his or her glove where it is, we have to change our eye level. So let's say as a tall dad, you have your glove just a little hot, maybe in the high part of the strike zone, and she keeps throwing high, 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 high. If you don't move your glove, what I would train her to do is move her eye level so she can look down the bucket. You can put cones on the ground in front of her. You can draw X's in the dirt, circles in the dirt. You can have little baby cones. You can put anything kind of like on the ground to help. And you can put maybe like three cones on the low inside, three cones on the low outside. But realistically, I never looked at my catcher's glove the last probably three or four years of my playing career. And the reason why is because for my breaking pitches, I was looking more where I wanted the pitch to finish. And it was never finishing at the glove because the older I got, my catchers would move with the pitch and they would move when I started my motion. They wouldn't set up too early. Now, at a younger age, catchers normally set up a little earlier, but I still train my pitchers, even at the 10U, to look to find their target before they start pitching. And we have to make that adjustment. So if you throw too high, we got to look lower. And if you throw too low, we got to look higher. And let's say just at a young age, we're just trying to throw strikes right down the middle. And you're looking at the catcher's glove. And again, tall bucket dad, high target. So we throw a high pitch. Well, the next pitch, you can challenge her and say, I'm not going to move my glove, but I need you to look here. And you can like move your glove for a second and just to show her like where the target is. And then you can move your glove back. Eyes have to stay locked. When you lower your eyes, you think, okay, I have to release quicker. So you're snapping your fingers to the target you're looking at, and that can help her speed up her release point a little sooner. And that goes the same way if she's throwing too low, they're going in the dirt and the dirt and the dirt. And if our mechanics are good, then we have to look higher. So let's say we were a very short catcher, okay, or we're very low to the ground and we're throwing in the dirt and the dirt. Well, let's look above the catcher's head. Try to spin the ball through her head. Not to her head, but through her head. 
that's a word that I use as well as go through your target instead of at your target. And that helps girls like follow through a little bit longer. But there's many little tips and tricks that you can do when it comes to target practice. Now, I think it's also very important for girls to learn to pitch to a net, learn to pitch to a nine hole, a net, a target, something without like a catcher and a glove, because the older you get, you're going to have to be practicing on your own and you're going to have to put that work in whether you have a catcher or not. And so I love having my girls pitch up close or having them pitching to a net. I understand that it might not be their favorite bullpen. They can lose focus a little bit more. It's harder to see where the pitches like break and to get that feedback from the catcher's perspective. But at the end of the day, it's helping you as a pitcher really zone in and focus on what you need to work on and that you don't need that instant feedback every single time. Is that a good pitch? Is that a good pitch? No, you're training yourself to know if that's a good pitch. You can feel your body to know if you feel the break on the pitch. So as much as you are catching her on the bucket, I think it's also important for her to play, like, throw into a net. You can even stand behind the net and you can pretend to be the umpire. So at a young age, there's so many games that parents can play. And I'm actually in the next, when this launches, it'll probably be a week after this podcast launches that I'm going to be offering on my website, this free download that has like 10 plus bullpens on it. So there are 10 different bullpens parents can do with their girls, girls can do with their catchers, girls can do with their teammates. And you just have to put your email in there and you get this free download. And y'all can utilize these bullpens together when you're practicing. It makes practice more entertaining, keeps the girls engaged longer. They have more of a goal to work for. Instead of just pitching to pitch, they're pitching for a goal. Right now, I would also challenge dad when you're catching her, let's catch with a purpose. So whether she's working on batters and you can talk through, hey, where were your eyes? on that pitch, where are we moving our eyes? And it's not just telling the girls, move your eyes. I have to prompt them a lot, especially at a younger age of like, hey, where did you look? And where are you looking now? And if they don't have an answer, then that's when I'll tell them, depending on how long they've been working with me, they have X amount of push-ups or burpees. And the reason behind it is because if they can't tell me exactly where they looked, I know they weren't zoned into a target. And I'm all about quality over quantity when it comes to my lessons and it comes to just practicing pitching in general is we're going to fail, but let's fail at 100% then fail just by going through the motions. So that's why I have that rule in place of if they can't tell me where their target was and they have like an instant consequence because I want them to be able to lock in every single pitch because we have to be able to do that in a game. And even at the 10U level, I challenge my girls. I might, I'll give them a few freebies sometimes. Again, I'm, it's different per girl I work with, per experience level, how long they've been training with me. But at the end of the day, I do try to hold all my pitchers to this standard of we got to lock in, we got to lock in. So that's something that you can also challenge her with. Y'all can play games. I hope this helps. I know I kind of rambled on this question a little bit, but at the end of the day, we just have to help our girls focus on visualization, help them lock in, prompt them, give them voice prompts of like, where did you look? Where are we looking now? You might have to change your eye level dramatically, whether you look down three inches, look up three inches, look on the ground, look above the umpire's head. I mean, there were days where I had to literally look halfway between home plate and the mound for me to throw my change up just so I didn't skyrocket it over the catcher's head. 
And I was very linear pitching back in my day. And if I was leaning forward, I would pull up and that change up. I threw a flip change. That change up would just skyrocket. But if I had my eyes on the ground, literally like 20 feet in front of me, I was able to keep my thumb through and I didn't lean through the pitch. That pitch was able to tunnel so much more. And I had to learn that. And it would would vary. Some weeks I had to look that far away. Some weeks I could look right on top of the plate. But it really depended on kind of like where my rhythm and my timing were back in the day. You might have to make a dramatic eye change. You might have to make a small eye adjustment, but you have to play with it. And every pitcher is different. And if you have to look halfway, then you look halfway. If you have to move your eyes one inch, then you move them one inch. But you won't know until you start playing around with this almost every single pitch, especially if you're throwing the same pitch back to back to back to back to back and you're trying to hit your target. If you throw three balls in a row at the same target, then we're not making a visual adjustment. We have to make that adjustment. So that is the moral of this story is we have to find ways to make that adjustment. And it starts with the visual training and the visual mindset and the prompting a little bit more of like, where did you look and where are you going to look next? So please keep sending in your questions to fastpitchprep at gmail.com. I absolutely love answering them. You can message me on social media at dr3fastpitch. Instagram is my biggest platform. Please help me get to 40,000 followers. I am almost there. So please share my account with all your teammates. I am going to be dropping a big 40K giveaway. Hopefully I hit 40K at the same time I hit my three-year mark. So May 5th will be three years of online lessons. So I'm going to be doing a big giveaway for 40K and my three-year anniversary for online lessons. So make sure you follow me on Instagram. I'm also on Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. And you can download my free course on DR3 Fast Pitch University. I also have a Pitching 101 course for beginner parents, coaches, and pitchers. I have a Pitching 102 course, which really helps elevate your whip and gets you more on the why rotational pitching is the best way to pitch and the most accurate injury prevention and to get you throwing as hard as you can quickly. So take a look at my courses. I also have an online membership. Contact me on my website, dr3fastpitch.com, if y'all have any questions. And I hope to be able to work with your girls soon. I always enjoy listening to Danielle talk about uh, the different topics that we're giving to her. You know, I know uh, one of the things that is always a hot topic is pitching stuff. And so to have her perspective as somebody that spends all their time working on pitching and solving pitchers' problems is a really valuable thing for us. We're super excited that she's part of the team. So, Don, that's going to take us to the leadoff topic. Leadoff topic is sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods. They're located at 905 Grayson Highway in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Phone number there is 678-377-0270. You can also contact them at elitesportsorders at yahoo.com. Anything you need, and they'll be happy to ship it anywhere in the country. So check out the folks at Elite if you have any kind of equipment needs, uniform needs, and uh, let them hook you up, and, and they'll be happy to take care of you and get it sent out to you right away. We spent a whole lot of time last couple of weeks talking about the pace of play and and wasted time in the games and sure. stuff like that, and had a couple of different people respond back with basically the argument that we've we know is always out there that you know what's the hurry, what's the rush, why are we in such a big hurry to push this game <laughs> along? You know, I like being able to just relax at the ballpark, and and there's no you know there's no reason to feel any any pressure. There's no clock in the game of softball for a reason. And all of that I get, and part of me even sympathizes with it, 
except that I always see things from the perspective of a coach who worked really hard to get ready to play and players who work really hard to get ready to play. And to me, the key thing that's getting lost in this whole discussion is play. Because we're spending a lot of time at the ballpark, but we're not spending enough of it actually playing softball. And so while I was uh, happy to engage in this conversation, it got me thinking again, because um, to me, this is one of my absolute hot button topics right now. So I decided to do another little experiment, Don. Okay, cool. So I went out and I watched a couple of teams that I have several players that I work with, and they were both playing in a tournament not too far from where I live. So it was kind of the like the convenient easy, uh, opportunity yeah, to, to test this. Yeah. So I went to the ballpark stopwatch in hand. Now we're talking about 12 and under softball. So they've played enough and both teams are good enough that they play at a pretty good level consistently. You know, they're 12, so they still make plenty of mistakes, but they still do plenty of good stuff too. And the tournament that they were playing in had a 75-minute time limit. And you and I have both gone on record and railed about the idea of how terrible time limits are, how we hate them, how it's the worst thing that's ever happened to softball, yada, yada, yada. 75-minute time limit. First game I watched, the with stopwatch in hand, we spent eight minutes on the pregame meeting where umpires and coaches were Hanging yucking out. it up, you know, exchanging lineups chit-chatting about the ground rules and all that stuff. From the end of the meeting to the first team getting on the field and the first pitch being thrown, we wasted another two and a half minutes. We're a little over 10. We're a little bit over 10 minutes already, and we haven't thrown a pitch yet, but we're on the to- on the timer. The first inning goes, I don't know, six, seven hitters. They score a couple runs. Now, the stopwatch isn't running now because this is real softball. So I don't care. I mean, I'm happy that you're actually playing the wasted time. Right. And I didn't even, I I mean, I didn't even worry about the wasted time for the huddles or the wasted time for the high fives or any of that stuff. This was just throwing it around. Right. None none of that stuff. So that stuff is all part of what I'm calling playing softball for this discussion. After they got the third out, how long do you think it took before the next hitter saw a pitch? Eight minutes? Four minutes. Four minutes. That inning went four or five hitters. They scored a run. They switched over. From the third out to the first pitch, three and a half minutes. So we're up to 20 plus minutes of wasted time, and we've played one inning of softball. Right. Okay, we've wasted 20 plus minutes, and we've probably used up between the two innings another 12 or 14 minutes. So we're probably halfway through the time limit and we've played one inning. So moral to the story is the visiting team hit three times. The home team hit twice. That's crazy. In a 75 minute game. Now the second uh, time through both teams hit a little bit longer. So there was some softball time on the clock. The best that they did on any single switchover from offense to defense was two and a half minutes, and several of them were three and a half, four minutes. And it looks the same every time. There's a quick little meeting with the coaches before they go out on the field. Then the kids basically lollygag, jog, halfway hustle out. They throw balls around the infield. They throw balls around the outfield. At least every time one or two balls gets thrown away, so we have to waste more time 
chasing it down to go pick it up so we can throw it to the next kid. And on and on and on it went. Thing that I thought was so crazy about it is I know that you know every organization, every tournament has rules about how all this stuff is supposed to work. So after the game was over, I was just kind of you know hanging around, and uh, one of the umpires that worked the game is somebody that I've gotten to know you know a little bit over the years, and I just asked him. I said, "So you know, is there some sort of rule in in these tournaments how quick the teams are supposed to you know hustle in and hustle out and all that stuff?" He said, "Well, there's some guidelines, but we kind of ignore them." And I said, "Well." And I asked, I said, well, why, why do you ignore him? I said, well, because the teams don't want to hustle. They're, they're happy wasting their time. And as a group, the umpires, and they did, he did not say this, but I can read between the lines. This is what he was saying. If they waste that time, that's less work that he has to do. Less balls and strikes. And I think this is really maybe the most important part of it. Less stuff for people to yell at him about. Sure. If we only play two and a half innings, the number of chances for you to make a call that you get screamed at, yelled at, argued with, and all that stuff is greatly reduced. Much less, right? Yeah. If you only have to call fifty or sixty pitches for a game versus one hundred and twenty or one hundred and fifty pitches for a game, obviously your your life's going to be a whole lot easier. So I think what we've hit now is sort of a critical mass. We're allowing kids to think of the time that they're at the ballpark is all softball. Yep. When very little of it is really playing softball. We work so hard for we, that. We've created a culture where yeah. just so used to standing around, waiting around, nothing happens, and then stuff happens for a little bit, and then we the game's over and we move on to the next game, that I don't think anybody values the time that they're spending on the field. So our being mad about time limits thing, Don, I have to admit this. I think we got to just shut up well, about it. Well, is the, is the value that I got seven games in or I got seven hour and 15 minute games but, in? But see, the problem isn't That's, the hour and 15 minutes anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm way over that because if playing softball was really important to these teams, they'd be hustling, hustling more. In and out. They'd yeah. be playing more. They, I mean, they played two and a half innings in a 75 minute game and they wasted 20 plus minutes in the first inning. What what other sports would we be satisfied stopping partway through the game? None. But for whatever I mean, reason, we've gotten used to it in softball. And then you know you add in all the other stuff you know that we're trying to win so badly that you know we stall games out and waste time on purpose to win them and all these other things. But I, I don't know where this started, but I I know for sure that it's gained momentum to a level that's very alarming to me. And so then the second game that I watched, the second team. The exact same thing all over again. Uh, two different teams, two different umpires doing the exact same thing. It's just like it's so normal for them to waste all this time that nobody thinks there's anything wrong with it. And to me, it was an eye opener. And so, but if they knew they had to finish all the innings, they might hustle in. No, and out. they wouldn't. No, they, they don't. They would rather because because this is the culture now. You got to finish. You you have to go and watch. <laughs> so watch you better hurry. <laughs> you have to go and watch. Uh, go out to one of these tournaments to have a perspective on it. The only really competitive thing that's going on in some of these tournaments is who gets the best spot to set up their tent village at the field, so that they've got a place to socialize and hang around and make TikTok videos. And parents have occasional adult beverage or whatever away from the the, the masses. There's no sense of urgency at all about actually playing the game if we had a tournament next weekend and we said no time limit we're going to play seven innings no matter what i think by the second game we'd be four hours behind they'd have to shut it down yeah i mean and i think that's the whole thing and so 
yes, I hate time limits, but I hate time limits for the teams that are trying really hard to play as much as they can, that have players that really want to get as many at-bats as possible. One of the girls that I work with came into her lesson yesterday, and mom and dad were so excited that I came out and watched them play, and, and I was happy to be there and glad I had the chance to see her, but she got one at-bat where she got walked. Cool. So what am I supposed to take from that? <laughs> right. That's going to you know help me you know help her give her a better lesson you know this week because I invested my time to go watch her play, and she was the fourth hitter in their lineup or fifth hitter in their lineup. I mean it's like it's, it's crazy. One thing I know for sure is they're not getting any innings in if they're picking up at one field and moving to another field because they've only got an hour and fifteen minutes to play. Right. But the, the chances but, of getting more in are going to be better if we have a two-hour time limit or. See, I disagree. I I, no, I I agree with your premise, but the yeah. culture that we've created, if they had a two-hour sure. time limit, they'd play one more inning. Well, I hear what you're saying. We need to change that part of it, too. Yeah, but. They, they, if, if they had a two-and-a-half-hour time limit, they'd play two more innings. <laughs> that's that's all that would happen. If they have an unlimited amount of time, they'll they'll play seven innings, but they're seriously going to be playing three-and-a-half-hour games. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the coaches. The expect- it's everybody. Yeah, the expectation. Yeah. You know, why did I ask the umpire? Because I, you know, I, I kind of suspected what I thought his response was going to be. Sure. But well, yeah, we've half you know, of least we're, resistance. Yeah, we're we're, we're yeah. supposed to hustle them in and out. But if they don't want to hustle, why would I set myself up for one more argument by yeah. getting after a coach saying, "Coach, you got to hustle them in and hustle them out," or at one minute we start calling balls on the on how the about, batter because she's not ready to hit. That's about, not going to. How about because it's the right thing to do? But. <laughs> We all know it's, well, yeah. I shouldn't say that. We don't, all clearly don't know it's the right thing because there's an awful lot of people. Because again, four different teams, four different umpires, two different games, the exact same, same thing. scenario. If I would have stayed at that park all day long, except it drove me crazy watching two games that played two and a half or three innings in, in 75 minutes, I'm sure it was the same thing all day. And, you know, so the idea that... It, Yes, I hate time limits, but I hate it for teams that are trying really hard to play as much as they can. And other than that, I think I'm just going to have to shut up and accept the fact that it's... We're just old guys? Well, and it's... <laughs> with old ideas? We, we are old guys with old ideas. But I can remember playing like high school games with umpires who, because they knew they were going to play seven innings or run rule, they hustled you in and out because they wanted to get the game over with. Had a big open strike zone, so you'd swing the bat and, and make and, and they would be hustling you on the on the switchovers and stuff like that. So there's a lot of factors that are contributing to it. My realization is I'm going to always hate anything that shortens the amount of time that kids get to actually play softball. And when I'm watching teams allow themselves to waste more than half of the time of a game, that's not even taking into account that every time we make an out, we have a celebration. That wasn't even taking into account the throwing the ball around when we did get an out. It wasn't taking into account the base runner taking a 25-foot leadoff and dancing and dancing and dancing while the catcher runs all the way out to her to shortstop to push her back to second base. It wasn't counting any of that other stuff. How, that did, was, how did we ever do it? How did we ever get through a whole tournament where people were playing 12, 13-inning games? What kind of character is being built in, in having to battle and dig and do all that for those kind of games? Right. Well, we're, and that we don't have anymore. But we don't value that anymore. What are we missing out? Yeah. I, I know. I, I, don't, I, I don't know that we've got enough time to try to answer that whole question. But the idea of the discussion I had with this listener, and I'm confident that their reasoning is exactly what we're talking about. They're more than happy to just spend their time in the tent, telling stories, having fun, you know, sitting over there 
you know, watching a little bit of softball and having a social gathering, cheering for their kid and gossiping about what's going on and all that kind of stuff. I think that that's the mentality that we're seeing more and more. And it's, you know, the kids are okay with it. The coaches are okay with it. The umpires are happy about it. More teams, more revenues, more. No, but it's, it wouldn't matter. More games. It, It, to me, the more games isn't even the argument anymore. It's the only thing they can do to stay on schedule. There's absolutely no way if they played, uh, even finish the inning is the worst (laughs) idea ever. I mean, if you're running a tournament now and you're doing anything but a strict, absolute drop dead time limit, you are setting yourself up for being there five or six or seven hours longer than the schedule says. Fewer teams with some open fields. And I like your, your (laughs) usual Don trying to find the silver lining and, and every situation attitude about it. Sure. So. So I'm all done arguing that uh, the time limits are bad until teams start valuing it more, playing faster, trying to get more game in. You get what you get. You get what you get. And if that means that you're spending a couple of thousand dollars to go someplace for a weekend, watch your kid get one at bat a game, knock yourself out. It's, it's, I mean, that's tough to get momentum. It's tough to be a hitter. No, everything about it is bad, yeah. but we've accepted it. We're, we're allowing it. We're embracing it. That's, I mean, I'm not, it was, I mean, I was like, going crazy watching it. <laughs> but, you know, like I said, when we're spending 20 minutes before we play an inning or 20 minutes of the first inning is totally wasted. I mean, we know we've got a big problem. Of an so, hour 15. Yeah. So for the listener that, that told me I should just relax that I'm going to relax, <laughs> but I'm not going to watch very much softball because to me, the idea of watching kids waste all that time and teams waste all that time. is just too heartbreaking for one at that. Yeah. So that they can hit once or maybe twice if they're the leadoff hitter. Right. That's tough. All right. So Don, that's going to take us to our cleanup topic. Cleanup topic is sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to be sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. It's a nutritious snack that every athlete should have in their bag of tricks. It will allow you to get a great snack, something that's healthy and nutritious, all natural, and goes a long way towards making a ball player a better one. And Tori, our listeners can get their Pinnacle Power Butter at PinnaclePowerButter.com, and they can place their order there. Again, that's PinnaclePowerButter.com. If they use their promo code of EFP10, they can also get a 10% discount. And we're really excited that they're on board with us. Products are great. We've used them and tried them at home. The whole family loves it. Make sure you order your EFP 10 discount uh, for your Pinnacle products. It's a great product. I know uh, it's a great source of protein, something that's going to give you some zip in your step and something we're really excited about. Tori, they're going through a lot of growth and they've been uh, reworking their website. So if you have any issues or anything with the EFP 10 discount, just put it on hold and keep trying because they've, they're getting that worked out. Sounds good. Appreciate the update, Don. So another thing that we talked about was kind of developing a pitching staff and the idea of pitchers valuing getting outs versus having to worry about getting nothing but strikeouts. So I had conversation with the absolutely unapologetic, absolutely wearing it like a badge of honor dad, whose daughter is a really, really successful pitcher. Power pitcher, yeah. And his attitude and her attitude was really simple. I'm going to strike everybody out because I can't count on my defense to make all the plays as much as I have faith in myself to strike them out. Interesting. So even though she might have to throw 15 pitches to a hitter to get a strikeout, she's going to get a strikeout no matter what. And that's their attitude about it. And they think they're right because they have more faith in her ability 
than they do in her teammates. Well, Tori, I think twofold on that. I'm excited that somebody's got that mindset where it's like, I'm coming after you to get you, you know, and no matter what, I'm going to get you out. I love, I love that part of it, but I hope for the day when she can count on the defense and she can utilize their efforts to keep her in the game, to keep her pitch count low, to keep her win good. Because if you're fighting that way, you might be able to throw a pitch to get a ground ball. Whereas throwing one more of whatever it is you're throwing to get her out is going to get launched right? when the competition level rises to your abilities. Right. Well, one of the things that uh, he and I touched on that I think is important is when we talk about pitching to contact to try to get an easy out, to try to get a ground ball or a lazy fly ball or whatever, we're not talking about throwing meatballs up there and hoping the hitter misses them. We're still talking about making quality pitches, but rather than pounding the zone with rise ball after rise ball after rise ball that a hitter can fall off. And, and typically if they're a pretty good hitter, they, you know, they, they, they fall some back. See a lot of them going straight back over the backstop kind of thing. And eventually if we keep throwing enough good ones, they might miss one. Or as you said, every once in a while I might throw a meaty one that they get a hold of. But depending upon the age and the skill level of the hitters, that pitcher who has strikeout stuff, is probably going to win enough of those battles that they feel like they're accomplishing what they're setting out to do. You know, you touched on an important thing that not having faith in your defense is a bad place to be from a competitive position. But for this player and her father, if they stick to the plan, she'll never find out if she has a good defense because her job in her mind and her goal in her mind is to make sure they never get to do anything. Right. And to me, I think that's a little bit of an extreme take but I don't think it's an unusual take because I think there's a lot of pitchers that go out there kind of with that same mindset of, you know, my job is to strike everybody out. And if I'm not striking everybody out, no matter what else is happening, I'm failing. That we're doomed. We talked about the, the player that, that I've worked with that's an amazing pitcher and she does get a lot of strikeouts. But the one day that she was getting some easy outs on ground balls and fly balls, how disappointed she was that even though she still had a no hitter in the sixth inning, that she only had two strikeouts. Right. And uh, we had a you know really talented team and when she, you know, hit a ground ball to the third baseman, it was gonna be an out, you know, ninety nine percent of the time. You know, she hit a lazy fly ball in the outfield, it was gonna be an out ninety nine percent of the time. So she could count on her defense, but even in her mind and her attitude was if I'm not striking everybody out, I'm having a bad game. I'm not showing well. And I think you touched on something in your point earlier that when I'm trying so hard to strike everybody out, I think I'm also setting myself up to give up that really big hit because sometimes the pitch that I'm throwing for the strikeout is also very susceptible to getting hit if I don't throw it as well as I need to. You slip up a little bit or, yeah. Right. And so to me, I think the idea of, I understand where this thought comes from. And if you're the kind of pitcher that feels like you can get a lot of strikeouts, why it's a very intoxicating thing that you fall in love with. But I'm here to argue that getting outs is really our number one job. But so the idea of, you know, getting outs to me is really the important thing. And, you know, Stan raises a good point, especially with the younger ages. If we've got a really dominating pitcher who's getting a lot of strikeouts, it's real easy for our defense to even get worse because they're not paying attention because they don't expect anything to happen. All of a sudden they get lazy, they get lethargic, they get lulled into a false sense of security. So when that one or two balls does get hit, they're really not ready to make a play. Well, Tori, even at the college level, I can remember times when we would face pitchers that, uh, you know, we're leading the country in strikeouts and things like that. And when we did put the ball in play, they made mistakes because they were used to just sitting back and, 
you know, nobody hits ground balls. Everybody hits pop-ups and fly-outs. But right. if you can put the ball in play and force some errors and put pressure on the defense, then that's when they do falter exactly to that point. Right. Yeah. And, and so if we know that the idea of getting outs is the most important thing to me, if a power pitcher is getting strikeouts, that's you know, part of their game. But the pitchers who are really the most effective, you know, sometimes when we watch these uh, college games on TV, uh, some of the very best pitchers are getting their five or six strikeouts a game but they're also still getting an awful lot of easy ground balls, you know, easy, lazy fly balls, those types of plays, because they're attacking hitters in a way that you know, sets them up to struggle to make good, solid contact, but they're not always pitching just to swing and miss. I really, really, really like that. I'm going to come and get you, right. you know, kind of pitcher mentality. But I also would love to add to the end of that, that if I don't, they will. My defense will right. get you. Well, and you just know? to kind of put it into perspective, there's a couple of pitchers in the college game right now that are really, really dominating. One girl from Oklahoma State, Kelly Maxwell. I heard this statistic, and it was really kind of you know, mind-boggling to me. She's got a 48% swing and miss ratio, ratio? which huh. means that half the time that somebody swings at a pitch that she throws, they miss it. She's clearly way, way, way by far number one the next best one in division one is 18 percent wow so when we think about that 18 percent of that swing and miss means that the that getting mean foul balls and the whole bit any or? any contact so if you i mean you might a hit touch. a a foul tip but that's still contact but swing and absolutely miss is 18 percent so you know even some of the very best strikeout pitchers in the country are still getting contact 80% of the time. Now, whether it's foul ball or, or, or yep. not is, is part of the, part of the equation. That's one of the statistical she's, things that she's you can make a myth. Right. Yeah. And, but when we think about that, how many of these pitchers that think they're dominating strikeout pitchers coming up through the ranks are really not the, as dominant as these pitchers and these pitchers are still having the ball put in play pretty consistently. So the idea of being a complete pitcher who's capable of attacking the zone, attacking a hitter's weaknesses, and if that weakness means that I get her to hit a ground ball to the third baseman, we need to understand that that's a win just as much as a strikeout. And for the uh, dad who thinks that you know, unless his daughter strikes everybody out, she's having a bad day, um, I don't think we resolved that opinion, but we raised some questions to think about. I, I hope that she gets a defense around her that can support her. I'm going to tell you, yeah. I, I bet you she's got a defense around her right now that could. And whether it's uh, they fall asleep because they never see the ball or they never get a chance to show what they're really capable of doing because she's getting enough strikeouts that not very many balls are getting hit. My yeah, gut be feeling curious is how many errors are being made behind her. And we didn't get into that, but you know, the fact that, you know, that from the tone of the conversation, I didn't, you know, get into the absolute specifics, but it sounds like, you know, she's striking out 75, 80% of the out. Well, that doesn't leave your defense a whole lot of uh, meat on the bone to show what they're capable of doing. Yeah. I'd be curious to find out the journey. As yeah. they go, what happens? Yeah. Be, so hopefully we'll be, be able to revisit this again. But pitchers, your job is to get out. If you get a strikeout, great. If you get a ground ball to the third baseman, that's great too. Just make sure that we're understanding the overall scheme of things a little bit. And if we put too much emphasis on just getting strikeouts, I think we're going to end up setting ourselves up for a lot of heartache later on. But it's nice for us to talk about it, let other people think about it, formulate their own thoughts, right? Right. Yeah. And if you only throw 50 pitches and you get a win... Or you have to throw 150 pitches to get a win. Which one has you in better shape for the next game? For the next game. Right. Yeah. All right. So, Don, that's going to take us to our Action Coach Coaching Tip of the Week. 
I wanted to talk about something that I saw on uh, YouTube that brought back a memory for me of long, long ago when I first started coaching. But coach was pitching to a very young, it was a baseball player, but a very young baseball player in a batting cage. And was probably, I don't know, maybe 20, 25 feet away from the hitter. And clearly at this age group and this level, the coach was fairly sure that the kid was not going to hit it at all. Or if they did hit it, they weren't going to hit it very well. Because standing right next to the coach who was 25 feet away from the hitter was an L screen. All right. That he was not using because he, he was safe. Clearly thought he was safe. Yeah. Clearly thought he didn't need it. Well, the little kid scorches one right back up the middle and, and absolutely drills him. I mean, you could hear the thud of ball into chest. And the coach went down seriously like he was hit by a sniper rifle. That, that was the kid's first great cut. And the thing that really struck out to me more besides wanting to you know, kind of laugh at the coach for being so dumb as to not be using the L screen was the almost instantaneous shriek of terror and tears that came out of this little, I don't know, six or seven or eight-year-old baseball player Interesting. who really thought he might have just killed his coach. Right. Or So I better not do that again. Or hurt his coach badly. Right. And the moral to the story is, coaches, when we're working with kids, and I don't care what their age is, I don't care how weak of a performance they've shown in the past, I don't care how confident you are in your amazing ability to throw pitches where you want to throw them or to avoid you know that screaming line drive that comes right back at you always use the protective equipment because let honestly the, if you get hurt that's your own foolishness that's your own stupidity let the kids feel good right the impact that you could yep. be having on a young player is really i mean really potentially damaging and so i have a golden rule that and when i get hit i don't show it right no matter what, I do not show it. That means I get grazed by a ball in the cage, a ball hooks around the screen and, and hits me in the elbow or whatever. Obviously, there's that instantaneous little flinch or you know whatever when, when it hurts so bad that you kind of can't help yourself. But as soon as you get your wits about you, no, I'm fine. It's okay. It kind of grazed off me. It's not as bad as it looks. It's not as bad as it sounded. It didn't really hit me flush. You know, It just kind of grazed by me. Whatever you say has to put that player's mind at ease that they did not just kill their coach. And that they can hit the next one hard too. Right. And if yeah. it goes right back up the middle again, that that's you know, one of the things that they're working on. If I throw it down the middle, you should hit it up the middle. And if I'm dumb enough to not be behind a screen when I'm doing it, that's on me. It's on me. But the reason I want us to talk about it is listening to that player's reaction and knowing how terrible I'm sure that kid felt was a really, you know, like sobering thing. And again, you know, when I was a very young, dumb coach, I thought I could pitch without a screen and I got drilled once and I tried really hard not to act hurt, but that player I could tell was really upset for quite some time. And it would affected her in hitting for quite some time because she, you know, had this, you know, image in her mind of drilling her coach with a, with a ball and feeling really, really guilty and really, really bad about it. So um, I learned a very valuable lesson early on at uh, the you know, point that you know some of my old-time players will remember. You know, back before equipment was so easy to travel, you know, like taking an L screen with you on a road trip was an impossibility. So there would be times that we would like use a picnic table or you know whatever we could find. You know, take take a picnic table out on the field and stand it up on edge. 
Or so, I can remember hiding behind a 55-gallon drum, yep, um, believe it or you not. Know, you know, going through the dumpster to find uh, yeah. you know, an old piece of plywood or whatever. But I never, ever went on the field again and threw a pitch without having some protection. And I never would ever throw something in a, in a cage to a client for a lesson without being behind the screen. Now, you still have the chance of getting something that hooks around just a little bit, still, hit, still nicks you a little bit. But those you can cover up for pretty well. Those you can kind of shake off pretty easily. But you get drilled right in the forehead. You get drilled right in the chest. It's pretty and, hard. And to the ball protect. drops down right in front of you. Yeah, and yeah. You know, on all fours, gasping for air because you got you know crushed that badly is a hard one to cover up. So coaches use the protective equipment. Please don't count on the fact that they've never hit the ball hard before. Convince you that they're never going to hit it again because. You're coaching them to hit it hard. So eventually, if they keep working with you, they're going to hit one. Even if it's the first one. And the first one can still create permanent stars on a player's psyche if we allow it to. Good stuff. Before we wrap this up, just a couple of quick words from uh, Coach John Davis from Action Coach. Hello, I'm John Davis. I'm a business coach with Action Coach. And we partner with business owners that have challenges like not enough time in the day or underperforming teams or general uncertainty about what to do next to improve their business. Most of these business owners have revenue and profits that's lower than they expected when they started their business. What we do is we provide education and strategies, skills, and tactics, as well as providing the accountability and focus that the business owners need so that they can build a business that they originally dreamed about. Because of that, they get to take longer vacations, earlier retirement, and have a business that they can sell to somebody else at a much higher return on their initial investment. So let me ask you this. Who do you know that could benefit by a short discussion on these topics? That's all it takes to get started. You can have them reach out to me at John Davis at actioncoach.com and we can schedule a quick call. You just mentioned fast pitch prep and a portion of all the revenue received will be passed back to this great podcast. Now is a great time to get into action. All right, so Don, that's going to wrap up episode number 264. Please support our sponsors, the Anderson Bat Company, Bittinger and Styles DDS, Elite Sporting Goods, Pinnacle Power Products, and of course, Action Coach. Please make sure you go to patreon.com slash everything fast pitch. Become a patron if you can. Again, thank you very much to uh, Foxfire72 for becoming a new patron. And make sure you go to the fastpitchprep.com website, order your Square Cuts training discs. Make sure you check out the YouTube channel, blog posts. Uh, my series of What's Wrong with Travel Ball is getting a lot of traction, a lot of, a lot of eyeballs. R- ruffling feathers at all? Uh, well, of course. But that's okay. That was the idea. It was meant to make people think about it. And so I've uh, decided that after today, I'm adding another installment that we waste too much time, too much darn time (laughs) at the ballpark. But that'll be uh, another um, leg in the the series. So so that's going to wrap up episode number 264. Make sure you reach out to us at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com to nominate players of the week suggestions, questions of the week, and all that kind of good stuff. We would certainly love to hear from you. So for Coach Don McKinley, our producer, Stan Lewis, this is Coach Tory saying thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.